the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, the party might be over. That's the Republican Party. Uh, They just nominated a guy for Speaker of the House who doesn't like the Electoral College. It's uh, Tom Emmer from Minnesota, who somehow had managed to become majority whip. It happened on the fifth vote today. He still has to get enough votes on the House floor, and you've probably been paying enough attention to this to know that it's not over yet. And there's a decent chance he won't get the votes he needs. But the question is, how does a Republican stay in Congress, much less get a sniff of the speakership when he doesn't like the Electoral College? About uh, 10 years ago, Emmer was uh, traveling the uh, co- well, he was a traveling. Sorry, he was a traveling spokesman for the National Popular Vote Initiative funded by George Soros. He was uh, selling having the state's electors vote for whoever wins the national popular vote. In other words, making the Electoral College useless. So how does a guy this clueless get this far in politics, and how does any Republican who knows this about him vote for him to become Speaker of the House? A year from now, Pennsylvania will have a popular vote for President of the United States, and whoever gets the most votes, or at least, you know, the person who people in charge of counting the votes say gets the most votes, will win. And he or she will be the person that the state of Pennsylvania chooses to be president of the United States. It's because we live in the United States of America. And a long time ago, the states agreed to, you know, form a federal government. As long as the states were allowed to maintain their identity to some degree... So if this moron has his way, lots of states would have every right, if not the obligation, to secede from the Union. And lots of Republicans just said that they think he should be second in line for the presidency. Well, if Tom Emmer becomes Speaker of the House uh, of Representatives, the Republican Party should never be taken seriously again. When we come back... Another defendant in the Georgia election interference case has pled guilty, and Democrats and most of the media are celebrating. We're going to get a legal opinion on what that means, and it's not necessarily what the people celebrating think it means. And in our second half hour, Adam Angievsky of OpenTheBooks.com will tell you how much of your money Joe Biden has given to the Palestinians since he took over for Donald Trump, and it's a lot. Stick around. Well, Jenna Ellis uh, became the fourth defendant to plead guilty today in the Georgia election interference case against Donald Trump. Trump. Last week it was Sidney Powell, who was the most visible lawyer, I guess, uh, claiming election fraud in the aftermath of the 2020 election. Democrats and their friends in the media immediately referred to that as a flip and said it was big trouble for Donald Trump. Molly McCann Sanders is an attorney who worked with Sidney Powell. And she joins us now. Molly, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, John. So I, I have a quick question. Just what was your relationship with uh, Sidney Powell? 
Sure. I was uh, co-counsel with Sydney on the Michael Flynn case. So people forget that in 2019 and 2020, Sydney and I and um, other lawyers on our team, Jesse Benal and a few others, we were working to free Michael Flynn from unjust prosecution. So that's what Flynn, Sydney was up to before the 2020 election. And then when the election rolled around, we had already vindicated uh, General Flynn and he had then received a pardon. And Sydney uh, went on to work on the election fraud issues from there. So I worked with her on the Flynn case. Uh, I left for a clerkship, actually, with a federal judge. So I wasn't involved in the election, uh, the election arena, but that that's when she transitioned over to election work. Okay, so here's what you tweeted uh, after Sidney Powell uh, pled guilty. Uh, Sidney Powell is absolutely innocent. The fact that Fannie Willis uh, dropped all seven felonies tells the tale. She had no case, but she did have the coercive power of the state. Could you explain that? Sure. Uh, I mean, I believe and a lot of I think most of the MAGA and Republican world believe that the election was stolen. And certainly it's no crime to object to an election. And that's what Sydney and all of these other people who have been indicted, including Donald Trump, were doing. They were exercising their right to contest an election and try to give their proof and make their case, both to the courts and to the American people, that the election wasn't fair. It's exactly what Hillary Clinton had planned when she told uh, the left before the election not to concede under any circumstance. She understood lawfare. She understood that there were, there can be time to contest these elections. So uh, the point I'm trying to make is Sydney's absolutely innocent. Uh, I think we all understand that. But the reality is, when the government is weaponized against you, it is absolutely crushing. And uh, innocent people do plead guilty. And when the state, we are in, frankly, unprecedented territory, I would say, at this stage, when you can have the both the federal and the state government uh, weaponize their power and criminalize otherwise lawful behavior after the fact and come after uh, political opponents, and try to put them in jail. I mean, we all understand that's what's happening with Trump. This is this is a political witch hunt that has become uh, very scary and very dangerous because they're using the power that they have from the government to put their political opponents into prison. And that's what happened with Sydney here. So she didn't flip, quote unquote, which is what um, was the word used almost immediately after she and and the, and the others pled guilty. Yeah, so it's very important. I would say, first of all, remember that every single plea that you're hearing, for instance, Jenna Ellis pled today, they're all different pleas. So Sydney pled guilty. She did not plead guilty to any felonies. She pled guilty to six misdemeanors, and she did not plead in any way, shape, or form to any charge that had to do with the 2020 election more broadly or election integrity. She pled to a very narrow set of misdemeanors that had to do with Coffee County alone. So in Coffee County, officials there invited an outside contractor to come in and um, examine the voting machines. And Sydney, after the fact, paid the bill. She wrote the check to the contractors who had examined the machines. And Fannie Willis claims that the the officials in Coffee County had no authority to grant access to those machines, and therefore uh, Sydney is also had no authority, and it was it was therefore unlawful. And so Sydney took the rap. She pled uh, to misdemeanors with respect to those charges in Coffee County, but she did not plead guilty to the RICO charge as a felony or as any kind of lower charge. And she and so her her plea in no way 
undermines her belief or her assertion that the 2020 election was stolen or any of her work uh, on election integrity more broadly. Now, that might not be the case for all of the other Mm -hmm. uh, co-defendants. You know, Jenna Ellis today looks like she pled uh, guilty to, I think, a felony. Uh, I haven't had quite a chance to look at um, Jenna's situation, but I think she pled to a felony and it had to do with giving false information, written statements, I believe, to Georgia legislators. So and then she also gave a statement in court that discussed um, that sounded negative And she she basically said that more senior lawyers had led her astray. And had she known the fact, she never would have worked for Donald Trump, et cetera. So that's a completely different situation. Uh, now, and I'll be clear. I think that every single one of these people, I, I can't blame anyone for pleading out of this situation. But I'm just asking the the public to be aware that all of these pleas are different. So what one person says should not be attributed to another co-defendant who pled out, like Sydney, who, you know, as I say, her plea really doesn't implicate Donald Trump at all. And therefore, she didn't flip. You know, when we talk about flipping, we're thinking of someone who finally says, fine, I will point the finger at my co-conspirator. I'll testify negatively against them. I'll tell you where the body's buried or whatever it is, if you'll give me uh, less time in jail or something. That's not what happened. Yeah, and I would say that 99% of the people still believe that Sidney Powell is about to go to, she's going to show up in court and throw herself, well, I don't know, just, uh, uh, just destroy Donald Trump. She's just ready to go in there and tell the truth and start weeping on the stand and just, you know, just admit to this guilt. I think think that's what they think. Well, the left certainly, I think the left thinks that. But what worries me is that a lot of people on the right seem to think that, too. And as I say, I think the first premise has to be, do do you believe the election was stolen or not? Mm -hmm. I, I think the election was stolen. And and therefore, there's there's no there there. You know, there is no crime there for Sydney to testify to begin with. I certainly know that in I, I don't I, you know, I haven't spoken to Sydney about what she will testify to. And I haven't asked her about what specifically she said in her proffer. But I know Sydney very well. And I know she certainly will never lie. And so I'm not worried that something she's that she'll make something up. There's no crime there and she's not going to lie and pretend that there is a crime there. So I, you know, I don't think Donald Trump really has much to be worried about at all from Sydney, and it's very clear he doesn't think so either. Because on Truth Social yesterday, he posted a very positive—I uh, call it a tweet, but a truth—about mm-hmm. Sydney and and how this is a witch hunt and how this is and how this is all terrible. But it was very positive about Sydney. So Donald Trump understands that she didn't quote flip on him and that she's not out to get him and that and that her testimony, you know, should not be problematic for him. Let me see if I have this right, just from trying to read all this, not being an attorney. Um, and this seems to be the plan, and you can tell me if I'm wrong about this. Um, they throw a bunch of misdemeanors in there with a few felonies at all these people. And the felonies, if, if, if they would go to trial, first of all, they know they're going to be going uh, up against a jury from Fulton County, Georgia, which is going to be all Democrats. And so they, they're, they, uh, the prosecutor in this case knows that they are going to be a little bit afraid of going up against that jury and losing and getting a gigantic prison sentence. So she mixes in a bunch of little misdemeanors that she knows that they'll um, plead to. So she kind of saw all this coming, and, it, and this was just a way to 
well, uh, win over the public because, as you said, most of her public, at least, is now believing that she's won these victories and these people are caving in. That Sydney was not charged with any misdemeanors. Uh, oh, Fanny she wasn't. Willis came at her. Uh, oh. Yeah, Fannie Willis came at her with seven full felonies. Oh, okay. And uh, Sydney would not plead to a single felony, and therefore Fannie Willis dropped. And I think that underscores that that Fannie Willis doesn't have a case. You know, you know they hate Sydney so much, mm-hmm. uh, but she was willing to drop those, to reduce those felonies, drop some of them, and give Sydney a plea to these um, to these misdemeanors. So she could get, quote, the scalp of Sydney's plea. Uh, And the other thing I'll point out is Sydney and Chesbro, they both demanded their constitutional right to a speedy trial. And that accelerated. They won that. And therefore, it accelerated Fannie Willis's timeline. Suddenly, she had to put on her case, her RICO case against Trump early because she had to try uh, Sydney and Ken Chesbro. And at, and that's a problem for her on a, a number of different levels. It would have revealed to Trump's team her entire her entire trial plan and her witnesses and the whole nine yards. And so I think that certainly was part of why she she gave Sydney such she, she let Sydney plead out uh, on such a you know basically slap on the wrist situation. Um, and and I just remind people that. Again, these charges are baseless. It truly is horrific to be under criminal indictment for fully lawful activity, as Sydney was. And uh, you just you just have to remember that it's it's so brutal. It's so brutal to be criminally indicted. I defended Michael Flynn and watched that. It's so hard. Sydney knows all about it because she defended someone unlawfully indicted in the Enron scandal. That went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And she wrote the book, License to Lie. She co-authored the book, Conviction Machine, about how innocent people plead guilty. And then she defended Michael Flynn. And then she ended up in this situation. So she understands how hard it is on on not just yourself, but your loved ones to go through an unjust uh, prosecution, persecution. And and she was able, because she demanded that speedy trial, she was able to, um, to basically just be done with it. On, uh, on, on misdemeanors. Now, here's, this is something, and we're talking to Molly McCann Sanders. She's an attorney who worked with Sidney Powell in the Michael Flynn case. Um, this is taken directly from the indictment, I guess. Uh, I, this is I saw it, I think, on Twitter, but it said, uh, I'm reading from it exactly, Act 22, on or about the third day of December 2020, Donald John Trump caused to be tweeted from the Twitter account at real Donald Trump, quote, Georgia hearings now on OANN, amazing, exclamation point, unquote. And it goes on to say, this was an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. How can anybody take that seriously? I, I truly I truly do not know, John. It is, it is very scary. It, it, you laugh, but then it's scary yeah. because these people are wielding the power of the state to put their political opponents into prison. That's obviously... Um, you know, Donald Trump's First Amendment right to tweet that. It's insane. It's, it's absolute insanity. And the only way they get away with it, I, I, I think, is too many, too many people in America are just asleep at the switchboard, not paying attention. And, of course, the mainstream media is so corrupt. When you read the headlines, 
you know, people's heads are just turned. They can't, they can't even figure out what's going on with Sydney or Trump or this case because the headlines just make it up. It's all very ambiguous, amorphous. And at the end of the day, you know, everyone, as you say, is pleading guilty to overturning or trying to overturn the election. It's just the misinformation peddled by the mainstream media is destroying this nation. Now, uh, I also read today just after the this just, this just happened fairly recently that Jenna Ellis uh, pled guilty. Uh, I read that she's been claiming attorney client privilege and they've been trying to get information out of her and trying to get past that. Uh, she's been refusing to, to give it to them. Uh, and the theory, I guess, from the person who wrote this story, maybe it's more than a theory, but uh, is getting her to cop a plea is a way to get past the attorney client privilege because now she's going to be asked questions in court and she's agreed to testify. Well, there is the uh, crime fraud exception to attorney-client privilege. As I say, I have not really looked at uh, Jenna's case, so Mm -hmm. I'm um, a little hesitant to opine on it live Mm -hmm. on air. Uh, But I have have heard that 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 they want to get her to testify. Um, Of course, again, we don't... (laughs) We don't believe that there is a crime here. So uh, I I did see Jenna say somewhere, you know, that I could turn on Trump if I wanted to. I I don't really know what that means other than she could say mean things about him. Yeah. Uh, But I I can't really speak to her case uh, specifically. Now, um, so she's not walking around believing that she's guilty of some crime that she has to cover up, as far as you know. She's Uh, Sydney or or Jenna? Either one. Or both. Oh well, I, 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 well, I don't know what Jenna thinks at this yeah. point. I, her, her statement in court this morning seemed to uh, suggest, you know, I, I just, I think her, her, she shouldn't have made that statement in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. And, but Sydney certainly is not walking around thinking she committed a crime, mm-hmm. and she didn't. Yeah, and and that's what I want to ask you. I got about a minute and a half left here. Uh, she's so Sydney Powell is not backing away at all from any of the claims she made. And I'm, I'm not speaking on behalf of Sydney. I want to make that very yeah, clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Close to her personally. Uh, but all she has done is she has pled guilty to writing a check in Coffee County after the fact to have some election machines, uh, uh, you know, looked at. Mm-hmm. And that that's all she that's all she's pled to. And and to you know, I would beyond that, I don't have any reason to think that she has changed her position with anything else, with respect to anything else. Can she appeal even the 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 um, offenses that she's pled guilty to at some point? No, no, she's done. This is done. It's over. Once you know she's taken a plea, and and the purpose is to definitively end it and move on with her life. Um, you know, we in the Flynn case, what he he had pled guilty, and we unwound that plea, and that's an extraordinary thing to do. It's very mm-hmm. very hard to unwind a plea, but um, but to my understanding. Sydney's entire uh, plea is done, and she can wash her hands of it and move on uh, with her life. So, and you know, she still has her defending the Republic organization. They're sending out great newsletters. Uh, they're working on things to help the MAGA movement, uh, help J Sixers, help America. So she's still out there fighting, and you can find her Substack uh, defending the Republic. And I encourage your listeners to do so. She's an she's an incredible patriot and has been through quite a lot and continues to fight uh, in these attempts to sanction her and take her law license, which will affect all conservative attorneys across the nation. Well, I, uh, I'm i a big fan of hers, and I'm rooting for her, and I hope she uh, keeps doing well. And I I agree with you 100 percent. 
that the uh, election was uh, stolen. So we'll see how that uh, turns out. Still, yep. It's a long way to go on that. But I really appreciate you coming on the show, Molly, and uh, and clearing it up with some legalese. And, and uh, I think people need to see the other side of this, and you gave it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Okay, that's Molly McCann Sanders, and we'll be right back. Well, this is uh, the point in the show where I was going to have Adam Angievsky of OpenTheBooks.com come on the show and talk about uh, how much money Joe Biden has sent to the Palestinians and how much of that has ended up with Hamas, which, of course, helped them commit the atrocities they committed in Israel a couple of weeks ago. But uh, Adam uh, was traveling, I think, and he, he had to cancel at the last minute, so Rather than wait and have him on tomorrow and talk about this, I'll try to talk about it without him, just based on what I was prepared to do here. So the the um, the, the headline of the story is that uh, Joe Biden and the uh, Democrats, uh, a, a billion dollars in U.S. taxpayer funding of Palestine, Palestinian aid during the Biden administration. Now, you may not remember... Uh, uh, Donald Trump completely stopped the funding to this organization called the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for the Near East that was uh, created as a direct aid to the Palestinians. So Donald Trump cuts out the uh, cuts off the flow of the money and then Joe Biden comes in and within a few weeks of being in office he uh started sending the money again the Secretary of State uh, Anthony Blinken at the time and he said, well, there's no guarantee the money would stay, stay out of the hands of Hamas. I don't know. Maybe it's me, but I think maybe that's one of those times when you, you know, get a guarantee before you send the money, especially money that you stole from taxpayers. So Biden restarted the aid after the Trump freeze. It was in April 2021. And it was just within a few weeks of that that rockets were coming down on Israel and uh, so U.S. tax dollars to the United Nations, the UNRWA fund, have gone up from $318.4 million in 2021, $363.9 million in 2022, and $371 million in, uh, so far this year. So one of the, the, uh, the uh, things about this is that the, the money go, was going to a thing called the Pay for Slay policy. Uh, this is a, a, a situation where they, when a Hamas terrorist would um, kill somebody, they get paid for it, pay for slay. And they were, so it was an incentive for them to kill people. So I'm guessing here that that means that your tax dollars uh, went to help the um, the people, the, the the lovely people at Hamas, kill people. That's what they did, um, and it's called pay for slay. And I'm going to see here. I can I give you some details on that. I think that was in. The, yeah, here it is. Uh, pay for slay policy. Uh, Biden pays. Rockets fly. Administration sent one billion dollars in Palestinian aid after Trump's freeze. This is from Adam just about a week ago. And um, he, he, this is the, the pay for slay thing was part, part of the deal, and they sent, him, they sent the money anyway. Um, 
And so that means that Donald Trump thought it was okay that, you know, your tax dollars went to pay for this, this, uh, this pay for slay thing. And then there's the other, there's a story here about um, a guy named Taylor Force. He was a, um, a former, uh, he's, a, he's a veteran, an Army veteran, but he was also a tourist in, um, in Israel. And he was murdered by someone, uh, by someone from Hamas somewhere on the West Bank. And they found out that after he was murdered, the, yeah, here it is, in March 2016, U.S. tourist and former U.S. Army officer and veteran Taylor Force was murdered in a stabbing attack in the West Bank. Bashar Massal, Force's murderer, was killed by police. You'll be like, you'll be happy to hear this, but the PA slash PLO paid Massal's family a monthly pension to its so-called martyrs. Uh, the PA funds the pension account, Palestinian Authority that is, funds the pension account, and the PLO distributes the payments. So, the money that was sent to Palestine and to the to Hamas and, and Gaza for um, for aid was used is I guess is still being used now to uh, pay the nice pension for this guy Bashar Massal who was killed by police his family's getting a nice check from you uh, the taxpayers so then so in December of 2017 Trump officially recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital remember that and he announced his intention to move the U.S. Embassy there. And then the PLO broke off diplomatic contacts with the United States. So January 25th of 2018, President Trump was sitting next to uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, and he said he was hopeful for peace in the Middle East, and he noted that the U.S. gives hundreds of millions of dollars of aid and support to the Palestinians. And this is the kind of thing that, I don't know, I'm crazy, but this is the kind of thing that I like about Donald Trump. See, he, the reason that they, they hate him so much, the people who hate him, is because he doesn't look at things the way they do. He's a businessman. And, you know, I, it's just a theory I've had from the beginning that, that he's, just not, he's just not welcome at the party. He's not one of them. He didn't pay his dues. You don't get to come in from nowhere and become president of the United States. You have to be in D.C. for a million years. You have to go through all the stuff that everybody goes through. But... You know, I think he like one of the other issues was was with NATO. He he looked at NATO. He didn't know anything about NATO before he decided to become president. He, he didn't know any more than you or I know about it. Um, he just knew that it was an alliance and probably never paid a whole lot of attention to it. Probably thought it was a good idea. But then he gets in there and he sees, well, wait a minute, we're paying like eighty times more than France, Britain, Germany, all these countries that are in the most danger. We're paying so much more, a higher percentage of our GDP than they are, and they're not paying their bills. Why are we doing this? Who made this deal? And so that's the way he looks at things. So anyway, this, this is, he, he's sitting next to the prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, and he said he was hopeful, hopeful for peace in the Middle East. And he said the U.S. gives, quote, hundreds of millions of dollars of aid and support to the Palestinians. And then he said, quote, that money is on the table. That money is not going to them unless they sit down and negotiate peace because I can tell you that Israel does not does want to make peace and they're going to have to want peace too or we're going to have nothing to do with them any longer. So in March, 
Congress suspended economic assistance to the Palestinians unless and until Palestinian officials created payments to convicted terrorists serving in Israeli prisons, and this is a quote, and ceased paying families of deceased terrorists who died committing acts of terrorism. So uh, President Trump got that done. Well, you know, President Trump didn't get a second term. Joe Biden comes in, and he starts the money flowing back again. So now we have what we have with what happened in Israel, and Joe Biden uh, is still out there wanting to send money to the Palestinians and to Gaza, and there's no way on this earth on this earth that Donald Trump would be sending money to them right now. Wouldn't they? Wouldn't get a nickel, and they didn't for two years while he was in charge. So they're back to getting the money, and again, it's not uh, Joe Biden's money; it's your money, my money. It's tax dollars. They take it out of your paycheck every week, and they send it to to Hamas. I don't know. That doesn't sound like a really good deal to me. I'll be right back. So it uh, took five secret ballots uh, to uh, five rounds of a secret ballot to nominate this guy, uh, Tom Emmer, the majority whip from Minnesota, to be Speaker of the House. And it, you know, it, this thing, of, I think we've seen enough of it to know that getting out of the secret ballot, which it shouldn't be anyway, by the way, it should be. Everything should be public, but that's another issue. Why Why would it have to be secret? These people are elected. They're supposed to do what we want them to do. And shouldn't you know what, if, if you voted for a, a member of the House and that person is voting in this situation, you're paying this person's salary. They're representing you. Why, why is it secret? Anyway, so he uh, was elected on the fifth round, nominate, nominated, I guess you call it. Um, and he uh, now still has to get by a vote on the floor of the House. So, but I, I don't know what's going to happen on the floor of the House, but it doesn't sound like he's going to get it. I hope he doesn't. I, I don't know. I'm not seeing a lot here of, uh, uh, not a lot of comments here from actual members of the House who are going to be voting on this, but conservatives everywhere are really going crazy over this guy. Um, just some examples here. This is this is uh, Bridget Gabriel, founder of the grassroots organization Act for America. Tom Emmer must never become Speaker of the House. She put that up in a tweet. Uh, Tom Emmer is not the guy this country needs or wants. That's from Ryan Fournier, the founder of Students for Trump. Uh and he wrote Byron Donalds for Speaker. That would make too much sense for the uh, Republicans to hire a black guy who, by all accounts, would appear to be an actual conservative, really strong conservative, a supporter of Donald Trump. They wouldn't want to have him in there. But uh, that's what uh, Ryan Fournier said. And then here's some of the things, the reasons why this Ember guy should not get a sniff of the House of Representatives. He refused to endorse Trump's reelection bid. Uh, so he's not he's not endorsing Trump or refused to uh, when Trump announced uh, and uh, he, he refused again on Monday. He was on CNN, of course, and uh, he was speaking to somebody named Manu Raju and he didn't uh, endorse him then. And he also voted to certify the 2020 election results. And he has this is the this is the thing I told you about on the open of the show. 
He's worked for National Popular Vote. That's an organization that supports ending the uh, Electoral College. And uh, he was out there as a traveling salesman for this idea, where the states uh, the states don't elect, don't send their electors based on which candidate won their state. They have their electors vote based on the national vote. So if you are a Pennsylvania elector, it doesn't matter what happened in Pennsylvania. If 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 Joe Biden got 81 million votes, which I don't think he did, but let's say he did, and Donald Trump gets 75, Joe Biden wins and has nothing to do with what happens in each state, which obviously makes the Electoral College superfluous. What's the point of it if it just... Go with the electoral, vo- uh, the popular vote. So, um, so he was out there selling that, and apparently that organization was uh, funded by none other than George Soros. So this is what Donald Trump said about Mr. Emmer when he heard that he was uh, nominated. "Quote: I have many wonderful friends wanting to be Speaker of the House, and some are truly great warriors. Rhino Tom Emmer, who I do not know well, is not one of them." He never respected the power of a Trump endorsement or the breadth and scope of MAGA, Make America Great Again. He fought me all the way and actually spent more time defending Elon Omar than he did me. He's totally out of touch with Republican voters. I believe he's now learned his lesson because he is saying that he's pro-Trump all the way. But who can ever be sure? Has he only changed because that's what it takes to win? Yeah, I think I did see that somewhere else that now he's saying, well, maybe this Trump guy's not so bad. I'd like to be speaker, by the way. If I, you know, if I hope that, I don't know if that has anything to do with this, but, you know, that Trump, I, remember what I said about him? I, I didn't really mean that. I, I, I actually kind of like the guy. That's what he's selling out there now. How does anybody, this much of a weasel, why, how, who are these people who voted for him in the secret ballot? Wouldn't you want to know who they are? Isn't that why it shouldn't be secret? Because they're idiots. They should, the fact that it's secret should tell you something about how they feel about the vote. It's, they, they, they want it to be secret. They don't want you to know that they're that stupid that they would vote for this guy. So it's a secret ballot. Amy Kramer, he's the chair of, uh, she's the chair of Women for America First, listed five reasons why she believes members shouldn't vote for Emmer. This was in a tweet. Advocate for the national popular vote, as I mentioned. Liberty score, D. Former chair of NRCC and helped defeat MAGA candidates. He's not the change we need and is another big spending cartel member working for lobbyists and special interests, and he's never Trump. Joey Manorino, I follow him on Twitter. He's a wild man. He sent out a bunch of tweets, uh, and he said this guy just can't, you can't, can't vote for him. And uh, Emmer voted for the Respect for Marriage Act in July of 2022. That codified, uh, codified, I guess is the word, the same-sex marriage. Majority whip also, uh, and so he was the majority whip. He also voted for sending $300 million to Ukraine and the 47-day continuing resolution to temporarily fund the government in late September, as well as the Fiscal Responsibilities Act in May. So he's voting with the Democrats on all the spending stuff. Uh, a Georgia Republican representative, Rick Allen, told Manu Raju that he is, quote, very concerned, this guy's a CNN guy, about Emmer's vote for same-sex marriage and said there is no way 
he will support his speakership bid on the floor. So that's one vote he's not going to get. I think it only takes four for him not to get it, four, four people to vote against him. Um, and uh, Jim Banks of Indiana told reporters following the vote that he will never vote for Emmer. He's not a conservative. There's a lot of opposition in the room. So that gets me up to two, okay? Tom Emmer is the, this is a quote. Um, this is from uh, Ann Vandersteel, host of Right Now. Tom Emmer is the worst kind of Republican, the kind that secretly identifies as Democrat. And when they force him through on this, it will be yet another indication that we just don't that we don't just need a third party. Um, we, we in a tweet we need a new second party. Is it asking too much to have a speaker who is against open borders, illegal immigration, multiple wars that we have to pay for? It shouldn't be, considering we pay enormous taxes for just that privilege. Who's with me? And then there's Leo Terrell. He's a wild man. He said uh, in a tweet that uh, this was he said this on yesterday. Uh, I do not want Tom Emmer as Speaker of the House. I will do everything possible to stop him from becoming Speaker. He is a big-time rhino. I do not like rhinos. And then a fundraiser named Carolyn Wren called on Emmer to drop out of the Speaker's race. This is the guy that they picked. Are you listening to all these people and what they're saying about him? They went in there. They had five votes. People, you know, the way it works was uh, whoever got the, the uh, smallest number of votes in each round left and dropped out. So they get down to this guy. They kept voting for this guy. What, who, what do they like about him? What is it that, about this guy that, that they think that the average Republican would like about him? He's from Minnesota, too, by the way. So it's kind of liberal up there. So Carolyn Wren called on Emmer to drop out of the Speaker's race, uh, and she said uh, Jim Jordan's opposition was 20, 22, then 25 on the floor vote. Tom Emmer already at 26-plus knows Emmer should do the right thing and drop out for the good of the party. The majority, he was the majority whip. He was one of nine House Republicans who were up for that nomination. And uh, so it doesn't look like right now that he has the votes to secure the the win here. Uh, 26 GOP members voted against him in a roll call vote. So, in other words, never mind. They, whatever they went through today, five rounds, voting for a guy who shouldn't even be a, a, a in Congress in the first place, at least not as a Republican, it's not going to work. So then they go back, and, and what are they, who's now? Do we get do we get nine more candidates, or do the same guys who were in there this most recent round do they jump back in and we do it all over again? Uh, and is Jim Emmer still a candidate? Is he still is he still uh, is he still in the race? Can they still vote for him? Uh, the Republicans are pretty embarrassing. They should be really embarrassed by this. And I'm not saying they should be embarrassed by what's happening with all the confusion about picking a speaker. I'll be perfectly happy if they pick somebody who's, you know, a Republican and a conservative. That'll be good, no matter what they've had to go through to get there. We'll see. I think we'll have another chapter uh, uh, on this tomorrow. We're also going to have an update tomorrow on the homeless encampment situation some new developments in that on the South Side and other places. So I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.